Welcome to Fall Kickoff. Man, it's so good to see you guys. Uh, we are so excited for this fall weather we're having right now. And uh, <laughs> I mean, man, fall is the greatest day of the year. Um, all right, so we are starting a brand new series right now. And uh, the series is called This is Greater Than That. It's a study of the book of Hebrews. If you've never been to Grace before, uh, one of the things that we do that's a little bit different is that we run through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we believe that's the best way for you to get to know what's in the Bible. And, what's, and the best way for you to get to know who God is is to know what's in the Bible, okay? So we're starting today uh, on the book of Hebrews. And let me give you a little bit of background information before we dive right in. Um, the book of Hebrews was written specifically to an audience of... Um, Jewish Christians, of Jewish Christians who uh, come from a Greek background. So they are Jews by ethnicity, they are Greeks by culture, uh, but they are Christians by choice. And so what's happening is that this book, and again, just to put it in the place and time, uh, it was written 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and we're going to look at some stuff that was written uh, even further back, behind, uh, further back than that. But uh, what was really neat about it was that the whole thing is written to these Jewish converts to Christianity. But what happens every once in a while is that we get stuck in thinking that the new life that we've chosen may not be better than the old life that we came back from. So for some of us, this is the same problem that we struggle with today. We have a tendency to think that the grass is greener. Like the things that, you know, maybe it was the person that we were with before was better than the person we're with now, or it was the job that we had before was better than the job that we have now. So we have this tendency, this very natural human tendency to think that the other place, the place that we're not at, but the other place that we were in before might have been the better road for us. And so what happens to us sometimes is we just end up going back. But when we go back, we realize that we left that place and that space and those people because it wasn't working for us, that it just wasn't the right situation. And so this is exactly what's happening in the first century with these Jewish converts. They're looking at each other going, you know what, maybe, maybe what we want to do is we just want to go back to the old rules, the old way of relating to God. And so what's happened here is that Jesus was introduced to the Jewish world. And some of these Jewish people said, you know what, we're all in with Jesus. It changed everything because it moved the relationship. It moved the relationship with God from one of duty and obligation, rules-based, right? The idea of make sure that you perform this necessary sacrifice for your sins. Make sure you show up at this right uh, place. Make sure you go to this right celebration. You had to do all these things in order for you to be able to be considered right with God. And that was a heavy burden for many people. And so when Jesus came and said, no, 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 listen, I'm changing the way that we relate to God. We're not going to relate to God through sacrifice anymore, through celebrations, uh, through festivals and feasts. Now we're going to be able to go directly to God and have a conversation with God. We're going to build a relationship with God. We're going to build connection with him. We're going to build union with him. Now, if you were a first century Jew with a Greek cultural background, they're called Hellenistic Jews. If you were these people, you'd go, man, that sounds great. But like most people, these guys are just like us. What's different between us and them 2,000 years ago is we have different technology. We don't have different morality. We don't have different ways of feeling about things, but we have different technology. For them, though, very similar to us, they just had this kind of wandering mind, this wandering eye, this wandering sense that maybe they're missing out on something else and they need to go back and get it. So 
as the writer of Hebrews writes this, and I say that because we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. The author is unclear, right? In the first couple of centuries, it was speculated that maybe it was the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. But as many, many people began to look at the writing style within Hebrews, the way that the the author of Hebrews wrote, compared it to Paul's letters, they said, no way, this is not possible for Paul to be. So some people have uh, hypothesized that maybe Peter wrote it, maybe uh, Apollos wrote it, but this person who wrote it was identified as one of the apostles, right? So we just don't know which one. But one thing that we do recognize is that very, very early on in the New Testament church, people accepted the book of Hebrews right away. They said, yeah, this is scripture. This is, this is, this is not a contested book. This is God's truth given to us. And it was, became part of Christian celebration from the very first. So let's read this. We're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, and then we're going to walk back through it and see everything that it has for us, or at least part of what it has for us today. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God the Father on high. All right, let's take a look at this. Um, The first thing I want you to notice is just the way that it's written. It's written like an essay. It's written like an essay. It ends like a letter, a personalized letter to a group of people. But remember, these people are Greeks, right? They're Jewish by ethnicity. They're Greek by culture. And Greeks loved philosophical debate. Greeks wanted a really good argument for why God was who he said he was. But one of the things that you don't see in the book of Hebrews is, A, Jesus talk ever, um, God the Father talks about Jesus, but, but Jesus himself is not going to talk about it. So this whole beginning of the book of Hebrews is all about an argument, laying out a case for why Jesus is above all things, why the supremacy of Christ should reign in the heart of every single believer. Now, as we try to figure out how to establish spiritual priorities, how many of you, by the way, have struggled in figuring out spiritual priorities? Raise your hands. All right. That's a fairly universal thing. Almost all of us struggle at one point or another trying to figure out what do I do first? What do I invest my life in? Because it has huge implications for us personally, right? It has huge implications. If we invest in the wrong things, then we get a wrong return. Just like if you take your money and you put it in the market and you invest in the wrong thing, you don't get a return. In fact, you might get a loss. In the very same way, spiritually, we might be looking at investing in different things like Certain things, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but certain things we're going to invest in in our life spiritually, but the reality is something God has given to us is going to be a priority in each and every one of us, and it's going to be different probably for most of us. All right, so the text starts with this in chapter one, it starts with this phrase, long ago. So I already told you that this book was written 2,000 years ago in the first century, Now, when the writer says long ago, he means a long time before 2,000 years ago. So if we go all the way back to someone like the prophet Isaiah, prophet Isaiah was basically, uh, he lived lived 750 BC. So uh, died, I think, somewhere around 739 BC. All right. So when his guy's writing this 2,000 years ago, he's looking 750 years before that. So 2,750 years ago, he says, 
we're going to look back and what was happening 2,750 years ago? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. The good news is that God has always been speaking to us throughout history. He's not left us on our own. He's not left us by ourselves. The good news is that God is still speaking to you today, right? The question of this message is whether or not we have the utilities, we have the mindset to be able to hear his voice. I believe God is constantly shaping you. I believe God is constantly introducing circumstances in your life to make you more like his son, Jesus. The question is not only is he doing these things, but the question is, do we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear? And in a minute, I think we're going to find that we don't. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, but, so what happened? Long time ago, God used to speak through prophets. He'd come down and go, hey man, I need you to be my mouthpiece to go to these people, right? And so here's what would happen. He'd choose somebody and say, all right, hey Mike, I want you to go to this group of people and your message to them is going to be one of encouragement. I need you to say these words. I need you to say, hey, it's going to be all right. The thing that you're going through right now, you're not going to go through it forever. Your life, your problems are like this. Your life is like this. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to work out in the end. Or sometimes, and this was actually more often the case, people were off track. People were going their own way. They were doing their own things. They were headed in a terrible direction. And so he said, hey, man, I need you, Jeremiah. I want you to go and talk to those people because they're headed in wrong directions. I love them. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to experience the consequences of terrible decisions. So you go and tell them I'm not so pleased with them. And so often in the Old Testament, when a prophet came along, no one was like, oh, hey, Jeremiah. Everyone was like, oh, crap, Jeremiah. You know, like, like, because he was coming with a message that was not a good message. They weren't happy about it at all. But wouldn't it be awesome if we had friends and people around us who could tell us right before we step off the cliff, hey, man, you're about to step off the cliff. It seems like today it's a little bit more like just where we encourage each other as we like fall right off the cliff. We're like, all right, just take the next step, Right? God loves us so much that he sent prophets throughout history to say, hey, I want you to be in the right lane, headed in the right direction. And so he sent these prophets. Now, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke. What does that mean? That in many times he spoke and in different ways. That's what it means. It means that God spoke to people in exactly the right time and exactly the right way for what they needed. God has been speaking to you in exactly the right time and exactly the right way for what you need. The question is, do we have the ears to hear it? And so we've spoken to each other in all kinds of different ways, and some of those ways have been better than others throughout history. I'll give you an example. This was cutting-edge technology at one point, right? This was cut... This was cutting-edge technology at one point, right? And this actually works, believe it or not. Go read about it. This was one of the very, very first telephones, right? And so what would happen is you would basically talk into one of these things like this. And if you hold this uh, real tight like this, and it doesn't matter if it's like four feet or if it's 20 feet, you can hear the other person's voice coming out of the can. It's like magic, right? The vibrations, which the reason why you can hear my voice is because air is carrying the vibrations of the words that are coming out of my mouth, right? Same thing happens. The vocal oscillations, they travel down this cord. They end up arriving here, and somehow this magnifies it in your ear. It's an incredible tool. This was the foundation for the telephone. But I'll tell you what right now. I like this. I think it's novel. I think it's awesome. I ate two chicken noodle soups to get it. And, uh, and, and I'm like, this is fantastic. This is wonderful. But I don't want to go back to this. So let's just put this away. Let's put this away. We don't need that anymore. That's done and gone. Like, that's cool, but... But this is outdated. This is outdated. It doesn't work anymore, right? Tell me how many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you remember this guy? All right, some do not. Let me, if, 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 
if you, if you, that just means if you raise your hands, you're old, right? So, so, so if you're too young to remember one of these things, right? I remember watching TV with my oldest son, and uh, on the television, one of the people came up and said, hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. He goes, dad, what's a dial? I was like, so, so this is what you did, you know, like my phone number is, no, just kidding. Uh, so, so you would basically just go, all right, 407, except back then you didn't have the area code, right? You just had, you just had two numbers you had to dial, right? No, I'm just kidding. So, but, but you would dial it and you always hated people who had a zero because you had to, you know, and it was just, a, this is like a 15 minute process to make a phone call, right? Terrible. But you know what? It wasn't terrible in the day because it worked really, really well. You could hear what the other person was saying. It was great. And the technology of this phone was fantastic because they added one of these, right? And you could go away from your phone and do the oven or something like that or wash the dishes, men, or it's just like something like something like that. You could do it. It was great. Now, there's one that should be in between here, but you know what? Here's the thing. This was awesome. It worked for the age. It worked for the time. And when they came out, we were like, that's so cool. That's great. So, but we don't want to go back to it. It doesn't really work anymore for us. All right. There should be one in between this. I call this the banana phone. You remember it? It was kind of shaped like this. It hung on the wall. Remember that guy? Right? And the banana phone was awesome because you could put them wherever you wanted all over the place. It didn't have to sit on a table. You could put it on the wall. You could put it on the wall in your family room, your living room, your bedroom. You could put it on, people had them in their bathrooms. They would sit right next to the toilet. They'd just be like, hey, I don't want to talk to you in that moment. Like, I don't know why you want to talk to me. If I knew that you were talking to me, I'd just hang up, right? Like, that's gross that people used to do it. But with that invention, they did two things. One, they hung it on a wall, which is very, very cutting edge. It was technology. It was like going from iPhone 9 to iPhone 10, right? Like, watch this. This is super important. But what they did was they added a really, 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 really long cable on it, right? A cord, right? So, so this wasn't like this where you had limited reach. I mean, this guy, you can go like right here. This other cord, man, it was like 25 feet. You're like, sup, you know, you're walking down the street. There's a cord all the way to your house, you know. It didn't matter. Like, you could go wherever that cord went. And it was great. It was awesome. It seemed good. But it had some limitations, too. The, the limitations of it were you'd pick it up every once in a while, and you'd call someone, and for some reason, the sound would come on, and it would go, boop, boop, boop. Remember that, right? It was, they were busy. I don't even, like, I get, like, if, if I call you, and you send me to voicemail, I just fly into a rage. Like, you know, I'm just like, what? What kind of world do we live in? Why can't we talk to you? So I text you right away, get off. Like, I want to talk to you. Like, I just want to talk to you right now. Okay, my wife can attest. You know, and so, so, so then there was the next version, the next iteration of this. My dad was such a car file. Like, he just loved cars. And so he loved Audis. And so he would buy a brand new Audi every single year, right? He'd come out, oh, check it out. Look at the car's color and the blah, blah, blah. He loved the car. And so one day, somewhere around 1984, 1985, right, um, my dad says, hey, come on out. I got something that's unbelievable. I'm going to show it to you. It's, it's incredible. I was like, cool. Let's go out and take a look at the car. And he says, hey, he says uh, to my mom, he says, hey, you go in, stand by um, the, 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 the banana phone, right? You go stand by the banana phone, all right? And so we got into his car. We got into his car, and there was a phone, right? <laughs> you, you remember these, right? You remember these? These are amazing, right? And so, like, obviously, this is not a real phone. I found one on eBay. It was 300 bucks. I'm too cheap to buy it. So I just basically just kind of, you know, got this lovely thing. But this is about the size, you know? You're like, you know, just driving down the road. You're like, hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, I, like, it was absurd. Or you had the pack that went along with it. You remember the pack? So you just kind of carried it. You're like, what's up? You know, and you got your Walkman. I mean, 
could you have more technology? I mean, seriously, like it was ridiculous. We have the, we have the earbuds right now, right? Those little white things everyone's walking around with. And, and, but back then you had the big giant like thing and it had these, like you look, everybody looked like Princess Leia, right? <laughs> it was amazing. These were great when they first came out. I mean, I was mesmerized. My dad called my mom from the yard and uh, it was incredible. He goes, he goes, she goes, where are you? And he goes, I'm standing in the yard, you know? And we were like, can it get any better, you know? And it was awesome. It was really, really cool. But just as good as all these things were, I don't think we want to go back to any of those. I don't want to go back to that. Like, and, and here's today, right? So this is Pastor Chad's iPhone. It's cracked just like yours. And, uh, and so, so, so this, is, this, is, this, is, this is today, though. But one of the things that happened when we did this was that it totally transformed the way that we communicate with one another because this we could hear, but now we can see. I was in Africa one day, and I had my iPhone with me. I'm like, let me just try it. FaceTime Kelly, right? It's probably $97 a second. And, uh, and so I did it. I popped it on, and boom, there she was. I mean, it was as if I was right around the corner. I, it was an amazing thing. It was incredible. So I looked at it. We were able to talk to each other face-to-face. But, but here's the thing. Here's the, I don't know what the next iteration is, but here's what I do know. One day we're going to look at these and go, what a joke. Like, we're going to go, can you believe you actually used to keep this in your pocket? Like, how, I don't know what the future is like. Uh, somebody calls in, and you're like, yep. You know, I don't, I don't know. Like, it could be something like, I mean, all of a sudden, boom, you face the, FaceTiming with them, right? Literally right there in glasses. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know that this, even though it's amazing and incredible, this eventually is going to look silly. We don't want to go back to any of these ways of communicating. And this is the whole message of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is saying you can't go back. You can't go back to old ways. They did work. It's not that they didn't work. Prophets were very effective, right? Sacrifices were very effective. Festivals and feasts were very effective. And yet, at the same time, here's here's the truth. We can't go back to those things. And very much the same way, you can't go back to your old life. God's given you a totally different way of understanding Him. The way that we, when we think, when we think about these phones, these are outdated. And so is much of our thinking about God. Much of the way that you, especially if you're not a super religious person, somebody brought you here today, your thinking about God is outdated. Why? Because the law, the Old Testament, the old phones, this is what they said to us. They said, you've got to do all these right things and make sure that you have your life just squared up exactly right so that when you stand before God one day, he'll measure you out and weigh you out and you'll be all right. It's not it's even a misunderstanding of the Old Testament self. The Old Testament basically was faith and trust in the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. It's always been faith. But we had to do this and this and this and this in order for us to be right with God. And look at our text right now. Look at what it says. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, in just the right times, in just the right ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, but, 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 the word but there means in contrast to what came before it. In contrast to what came before that, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. We now have the son. We now have God's own son. We don't have to. We don't have to go back to the old ways. The old ways are broken. Listen, if you're spending your whole life, if you're spending your whole life right now trying to work your way to God, if you're, and this is the, listen, this is not just a Christian thing. This is not just a Jewish thing. This is the default setting of the human heart. If you're not religious at all, you're doing this right now. Why? Because you do it like this. You just do it differently. You do it in a secular way. You basically do it like this. You say, I'm part of this political party, and that makes me righteous. I believe these things about people, and that makes me righteous. 
I'm conscious of the environment, and that makes me righteous. None of those things are bad. But when you make them the very necessity of what makes you whole, you've missed the entire point of the gospel. See, what I'm afraid of is that some people are going to get to heaven and they're going to go, God, man, I did it. Like, I voted the right way. I did the right things. I showed up. I served the poor. I did good things. And you're building this resume on earth right now, and you're going, man, one day I'm just going to present it to God. God, here's me. I did it. And God's going to look at you and go, cool. You know, like, I, that's just it. Why? Because he's like, you failed the test. The test wasn't how good can you be? What is your moral character? The test is, did you love and treasure my son? That's the gospel. Listen, if you've been walking around trying to build a resume, aren't you tired? Can we just talk for a second? I mean, aren't you tired? You've been running yourself ragged for maybe decades. You've been wandering around going, man, when is enough going to be enough? When am I going to be good enough? And a beautiful and counter, the beautiful and paradoxical answer to that is you will never be good enough, and Jesus loves you with all of his heart. And that allows those of us who understand the gospel to go, you know what? I'm going to fail sometimes. I'm going to fall short often. But man, I've got one in heaven who has stamped his, his, his approval on my heart. He believes in me, he's for me, and he gave everything for me. If you are tired and you have misprioritized your life, the book of Hebrews tells us Jesus is worth investing in. He's worth investing in because he's completely different than anyone else in the entire universe. He's different than anyone who came before him and different than anyone who will ever come after him. How is he different? Why is he different? Is this just a religion? There's so many of them. Why this one? Well, the reason why we believe this is because we believe that Jesus is not just a man. We believe that he was God who came down in the flesh See, God was invisible for a long, long, long time. He came down and he gave us some commandments and said, hey, do these things. And that helped us morally. We were able to walk in the right. So I'm not supposed to cheat on my wife. I'm not supposed to lie. I'm not supposed to steal. I'm not supposed to covet my neighbor's wife. I'm not supposed to do these things, right? And it gave us some moral clarity as we thought about, like, how, what, what's the direction we're supposed to go in? But we still didn't know him. We still didn't connect with him. There was no union. There was no connection with him. And then Jesus came. But here's the challenge. For many of us, we still live as if he's not come. And I'm talking to Christians in the room. We still try to build our resume and make sure that we've got all our ducks in a row so that one day when we get to heaven, we can go, I killed it. I nailed it. And God's going to go, the only one who nailed it is my son, Jesus. And my son, Jesus, offers you salvation. He says it even right now. Like if, you're, if you're thinking, like, I don't have all the... I don't have all the right things in place. I don't know what I'm, like, I, you don't even know what I was doing last night. I don't care. I, I, I don't think he cares. He wants you to trust him. And a relationship with God where you build trust with someone requires intimacy, connection, and it also requires risk. You're not going to know everything about God. I don't. I don't. Sometimes, in fact, 
the fact that I don't know everything about God makes me very, very comforted because I think to myself, if I was inventing a religion that I had total control over and I understood with all my mind and all my faculties, then I myself would be God. But because I run across things every once in a while and I go, I don't get it, God. And all I hear, little voice inside my head, the Lord says, hey, trust me. One day I'll either show it to you and reveal it to you and make it make sense to you, or I won't. And one day you'll see me face to face and you can ask me. I just want you to think about that. Because for many of us, we're just kind of back here in the Old Testament in our minds. And if you're not religious, this is where you are by nature. Because all of us, where it's not a judgment on you, because we all start right there. We all start with, what's wrong with me? How can I fix it? I mean, that's what seems to be responsible. That's what passes for responsibility in our culture. What's wrong with me? I can fix it. What's wrong with me? I'll fix it. And God says, what's wrong with you is sin, and you're broken, and you're never going to be able to fix it. It's like a cancer that's just metastasized to every organ in your entire body. The only hope that you have is the divine miracle from above. And those miracles are absolutely available. All you have to do is trust Him. All you have to do is trust Him. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, Now, let's take a look at this son, because if I'm saying to you, trust Jesus, he has to be trustworthy. He has to be different than everybody who came before him and everyone who would come after him. So let's look at, just real quick, seven things, ways in which he's different. First, it says this, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things. You see, we love kids in the church. I love all the kids in the church. We have so many kids in an amazing, incredible kids ministry in our church. I love them. I don't love your kids as much as I love mine. I'm sorry. Like, I, I think they're cute, wonderful, but if I'm taking one of them home, it's mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you do too. And so does the father. When he calls his son at the heir, that's what he means. I'm giving everything I have to my kids. I'm giving them my resources. I'm giving them my faith. I'm giving them my reason. I'm giving them my wisdom. Eventually, I'll give them the $95 that's left over at the end of my life, right? Huge inheritance, right? Just like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm, why? Because these are my kids. This is my son. These are my, this is my daughter. These are my, this, these are my sons. This is my daughter. Two sons, one daughter. And they're my heirs. And I give them everything that I possibly can because I love them, everything that's good for them. In that same way, the Father has given to Jesus everything. He gave him authority, power, and honor in this world. And it says this, that he appointed him heir of all things, through whom Jesus also created the world. Now listen, if you're a smart person right now, you're thinking to yourself, hold on a second, you just said Jesus created the world. What the heck, how does that make any sense at all? Because we know historically, and by the way, there's really no question today, scholarship-wise, whether or not Jesus truly existed. That's not even a real debated question in today's, uh, unless you go over to like some really weird website where you can find anything. But, uh, but so Jesus, who lived 2000, the, the historical person, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived 2,000 years ago, was born into the world at that time. But here's what we believe different about Jesus than Mahatma Gandhi or, um, um, you know, Muhammad. These were people and they attempted to try to gain some wisdom in life and then pass that wisdom on to somebody else. But Jesus didn't have to attempt to gain wisdom. He was by his very nature God. And because he was by his very nature God, he lived with God before the creation of the world. 
So people ask me sometimes, they'll go, hey, Pastor Mike, like, so when we die, are we going to be angels? I'm like, no, that's a totally different thing, right? That's not, the, that's not the same. We don't turn into angels one day, right? But, and they also, also ask the question, hey, before we were born, did we live somewhere else or was I, was I somewhere? No, the Bible says that, that when you were born, you were created in that moment. But the Bible does say that God knew you before the foundations of the world. In other words, God has been intimately concerned with your life from the very beginning. The Bible says he'll place you where you're going to live in your life. He'll count the number of hairs on your head, dang it. And he will also, <laughs> and he, will, he also knows the exact uh, years that you're going to live your life. These are things that are known to, to God about you. I want you to think about the intimacy involved in all that. Now listen, listen. When, when we think about Jesus creating the world, we have to recognize that because he is one with the Father, Son, and, and the Holy Spirit, let me, let me clarify it like this. Jesus, when we talk about God, that's a generic term that we use to describe one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? You've, if you've grown up in church, you've heard those terms before, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one God with three persons. Now, once you figure that out, come back and talk to me about it and tell me, okay? Because... That's a divine mystery that we can't fully comprehend. It's one of the things I love because I don't fully understand God. I can't understand God. But I do know, this is what the Bible teaches us, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They lived together before the invention of time, and then they entered time uh, 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. God himself came to walk among us. For 33 years, Jesus worked as a carpenter. 30 years, Jesus worked as a carpenter. For three years, he walked around teaching, healing, driving out demons, doing incredible things, life-changing things for people who encountered him. So when people ask, what does God look like? I can't see him. I mean, where is God? Like, what, like how am I supposed to know what to believe or who to believe? Then we say, point to Jesus. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. So, it says that he is heir of all things, that he created the world. The, opera, the operational power involved in the creation of the world was Jesus himself. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. This is beautiful, right? The Greek word for this is called homoousios, and the word means of the exact same nature as the Father. In other words, Jesus is not like part God. He's not like one-third God. He is fully God himself, fully man himself. And because of this, watch this, he, is, he radiates out. This word radi uh, radiance here, it means like light coming forth. What radiates out of Jesus' life, his decisions, his, his, uh, his morality, his um, emotions, his logic, his reason, all of that is exactly what God would do. It radiates God everywhere, right? He is an imprint of the Father. What does that mean? It doesn't mean a copy. It doesn't mean a duplicate. And it doesn't mean a, um, an, an imitation. It means that he is the exact representation. He is the imago. He is the image of the Father. And so one of the things that we can trust about Jesus is that he has authority from the Father because he's heir of all things. He created the entire universe, so we know that he has the competence over the entire universe, and now we know that he has the moral fabric and the moral fiber of God himself. Who's more trustworthy than Jesus himself? He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his power. I love this. The, the, the language, the way in which this phrase was written actually describes a present, future, ongoing tense. And what it means is this. It means that God, not, God, Jesus not only created the world, but he sustains it and maintains it. In the macro level, the universe swirls in exactly the way that it does. One degree 
in one direction or another means the difference between this planet burning up or freezing. And Jesus maintains that. It's his power. It's his word. It's his authority. It is his very essence as the creator of what we call reality. Jesus owns it. He maintains it. He sustains it. But not just on a macro level, also on a micro level. He sustains you. The very nodules that are in your heart that fire off those electrical signals that makes your heart beat, Jesus does that. Now, we can, now we're not anti-science. We can look at that and go, all right, well, listen, it's the right, it's the right combination of calcium. It's the right combination of, 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 of the polarization of these things. These are all important things. We can describe how it works, but he's the one that sustains it. He's the one that maintains it. Over and over and over again, we see it. The very neurons that are firing off in your brain right now as you're considering what I'm saying. You're going, I don't know. I've got these objections. These things that are firing off that make these thoughts that form in your brain. When you go, yeah, I'm all in. I agree with that totally. The faith that's even born inside your heart. That's something that he creates. He sustains that. He does that because he loves you and he loves me. He is actively involved and he has never, ever been far from your life. But the challenge for us is to try to figure out what is most important for us. So I want to kind of just run through a couple of things here because um, it's easy for us to forget um, what is most important. We have to figure out the challenge of this is greater than that. We have these, these challenges all the time in our life, right? So if this, I have this, or I have that, right? And I make choices all the time. You make these choices all the time. So what are some of these choices? For example, when you walked in, you made a choice. Is this donut greater than my health? And by virtue of all the people who have donuts in this church, you said, yes, I don't give a crap about my health. I'm going to eat donuts. <laughs> like, I'm totally just going to eat donuts. I don't, it's not a concern to me. We're going to eat them. We, we have, if we would sold these things, we'd be a better business than church. What? Because I'm telling you right now, we have had, like, there's probably, we've probably given away 100, $150,000, $160,000, 160000 donuts. It's unbelievable the amount of donuts that this church eats. It's incredible. So, so when we think about, is this greater than this? No, we think, actually, the enjoyment that I'm going to get from this Krispy Kreme, I'm kind of doing a little carb thing right now. How many are on carbs right now? Or off carbs right now? Raise your hands. Okay. It's a thing. Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Not one man. Liars. <laughs> Liars. You're like, no, I don't do that. Naturally buff. So, uh, so, so I just want you, to, like, I want you to think about this for a second. Like, I was just back there, and they keep all the donuts backstage, and I'm just like, just looking at them. You know? And, but, but, I'm, but I have to make the choice. Like, is this really going to be greater than being healthy and okay and living to 49? I mean, when I get there. And uh, so, like, I'm just trying to figure that out. I had a conversation with a guy this week. Um, is this job opportunity greater than what I'll be leaving behind? I mean, we, we hear this all the time. People come and go, well, we're thinking about, like, I'm going to get, like, a $20,000 increase in my job. Like, this is, this is big money for our family. This is going to be great. $30,000, $50,000 increase, right? And I'll say, well, yeah, that's cool. That's great. But is that going to be worth leaving your community of people that you have, leaving your family maybe, even leaving your church? Is $50,000 worth that? We have people actually that sing up here that actually went to North Carolina for a couple of years, and the entire time they were there, they're like, we miss Grace so much. We miss our family. We miss connections with the people who are there. See, one of the things that we have to do is answer the question, is this greater than that? And if we don't really get down to answering the question of, is this greater than that, we'll just make a bunch of choices, and then we'll just have to live with the consequences. But instead, we should be intentional about the choices that we make so that the choices that we make give life back to us. 
So maybe you look at that and you go, yes, the job, the, the pay increase is worth. I don't even like my family. So like I'm going to leave and like I'm just going to go hang out with it. Like I'm going to make more money. Win-win. It's all good, right? That's fantastic. Is winning this argument greater than honoring my spouse? It, it's so quiet in here when I use this one. Everyone's like, so, 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 so think, think about it for a second. I mean, I always tell people this. Listen, you can win the argument or you can win the person, but you can't do both. Choose one. I'll say it again. You can win the argument or you can win the person. You can't do both, so choose one, right? Sometimes you just have to go, you know what? I'm right. I love you more, right? That's just, I mean, that's first 15 minutes of marriage right there, right? That's, that's like what you're going to learn after 15 minutes of being married, right? Like I have to just put me to the side sometimes. And, and then other times, listen, because you're making evaluations, is this greater than that? Maybe winning this argument is greater than honoring my wife right now because it's a super big giant thing in our life that we need to figure out. But when you make that decision, you've made a wise decision instead of a foolish decision. And every single weekend on the prayer request, people are going, how do I discern? How do I discern? Ask yourself this question. Is this really greater than that? Now listen, if Jesus really is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, if he's the imprint of the Father on the planet, if he's the sustainer, the creator of the world itself, then isn't it important for us to have Jesus at the center of all of our decision-making processes? I would argue yes. I would argue if Jesus is not the center of our decision-making processes, then we're always going to find ourselves making subpar decisions. Always. Is this vacation greater than the financial uh, freedom that I would gain from saving the money? I, I, I just, like, I, I go on Instagram or I'll go on, like, um, Facebook and people, like, they tra- you guys travel. Like, I mean, all of you must be making $900,000 a year because it's amazing. Like, listen, listen, I want you to think about it for a second. I know people who are financially strapped, and I'm like, so what are you guys doing this summer? We're going to Italy. I'm like, See, you need to understand, like, I'm fundamentally cheap, like, really, like, really cheap. Like, I want to save money. I'm, I'm, like, super cheap. I hate debt, all that kind of stuff. So, like, I'm just trying to think, like, where, when can I get to the time where I'm just like, oh, you know, I don't, hey, what do you want to do, honey? Let's go to Italy. What's that like? Tell me what that's like. No, like, right now, seriously. Tell me, like, I don't, I don't know what that's, that's an incredible thing, but, but you have to make decisions. Is this vacation really greater than the financial peace that I'm going to have down the road? And for some people, they just go, oh, yeah, it is. It's great. And that's great because that's your value. But for many of us, I think we're just making reflexive decisions. We're like, where are we going to go? I don't know. I've always wanted to go to Greece. Me too. How what a coincidence. Who doesn't want to go to Greece? Everyone wants to go to Greece. So, so we just make f- reflexive decisions. And what ends up happening is down the road, we make bad decisions. And those bad decisions have huge implications on our both life and spiritual life. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then it says, after making purifications for sins, is this fear greater than the opportunity in front of me? Some of you have right now an amazing opportunity in front of you, or you will in the next six months. And you're just sitting back on your fear and you're going, I don't know if I have the stuff. I I don't know, I, I don't have the experience. You know how you get experience? You do it. Great people never, great people are not unafraid. They just push through their fear. I tell my kids this all the time, and I don't mean to be paternalistic in any way, but I tell my kids this all the time. When you face your fear, you destroy your fear. But sometimes fear is super healthy. Is this fear greater than this affair? Yeah, it is. So I'm going to press into the fear, and I'm going to avoid the affair. Is this fear greater than the opportunity to provide for my family in a totally different way with a brand new business opportunity that'll change our lives. Maybe not. 
But we're at a place where you have to ask the question, is this greater than that? So it says here that after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. So here's how we're going to finish. Jesus did something for you that allows you to trust him versus any other person on the entire planet. I have this thing in my heart, and it's just something that God gave me very early on. I trust Jesus uh, intensely. And you're like, oh, good, because you're my pastor. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, not a, that's not a guarantee, though. I, I'm just, we're just guys. So, so I trust Jesus in, 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 in an intense way. And part of the reason for that, part of the reason for that is because I have a real sense that the only person who will be with me forever and ever and ever is him. Listen, I love my wife. We have a great marriage. We have our times, you know, just being honest. And, and, but I love her to death. I'll be with her till death do us part. She'll be with me till death do us part. But one day death will part us. And I won't be with her. And that's not a bad thing. We made it to the end. She leaves first, I leave first. We don't know. But we'll be separated from one another. But there'll never be one second in all of my life where I'll be separated from Jesus. He'll always be my strength. He'll always be my love. He'll always be my hope. He'll always be my peace. He'll always be everything that I've always needed. So, um, had a conversation with my daughter. I was laying in bed one day, uh, and uh, she comes bounding into the room. She jumps on my chest, and she says, Daddy, she said, can we talk? I was like, yeah, sure. So we, she says, she is, there's a boy in my class that likes me. I was like, God help that boy. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'm telling you, whichever one of your kids, because I'm assuming it's going to be someone in church that comes from my daughter one day, you better have prepared that boy well. I'm telling you right now. Harvard, surgeon, <laughs> Jesus lover, missionary, okay? All right? It's all I'm looking for. It's all I'm looking for, okay? That's it. It's all I'm looking for. So start planning now. But, but she, she comes, she goes, Daddy, she goes, man, she goes, she goes, this boy likes me in the class. And I go, I go, honey, I go, do you, uh, do you like him? And she goes, yeah, I like him a lot. He's really cute. And I'm just like dying as a dad, you know. And, uh, and, and I said, well, how do you know? And she says, well, another boy in my class told me that he likes me. And I go, well, have you ever talked to him directly? And she goes, no. I mean, we talk, but we've never talked about this. She goes, but, she goes, but daddy, here's the thing. You, you need to know this about boys my age. <laughs> she goes, daddy, they don't really know what they want. And I'm like, that never changes, honey. <laughs> and and, 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 I, <laughs> and she, 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 she turns to me and she goes, she goes, but we're going to have a conversation real soon and I'm going to tell him what he wants. And I was like, that's fantastic. That's like, fantastic. I was like, so you take after your mother. And uh, so that's fantastic. So let me, let, me just, let me just say this to you. I want to tell you what you want. You want Jesus. No matter where you've been looking, for something to make you whole and okay, and all the old broken down systems and outdated ways of thinking about God, you want Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your love for your people. Thank you for your love, the love of your son in our life.
Father, even right now as we're just kind of contemplating like how to prioritize our life, just try to think through, God, what are the most important things for us? Help us to think about the, the, that little formula, that little idea, God. Is this really greater than that? And if God, God, your son Jesus is at the center of that decision-making process, that your church is at the center of that decision-making process, God, we know that we're going to make wiser decisions in the long run. Father, help us to be intentional about all the things that we do so that we can do them for the glory of your son, the one who is the radiance of your glory and the exact representation of your being. It's in your name we pray. Amen.